Welcome to Rooted Within with Lily and Dan, a podcast that shines a spotlight on positive change makers, sharing their stories of legacy, inspiration, and impact. Each episode, Lily and Dan will speak to individuals who have made their dreams a reality, exploring their journeys, mindset shifts, and what motivated them. Join us as we explore the lives of those who are making a difference and let their stories inspire you to achieve your own goals. I worked as a waiter in a football box at uh, the Man City Football Team. So I had the best job in the world. I was getting paid to essentially like watch my football team yeah. and you know and provide a service. The guy I was working for, he um, he was basically claiming for a second mortgage he'd paid off three years earlier. So I lost all faith in humanity at that point. I thought this guy was the one that I thought was going to yeah. take me under his wing, and I thought you know he was the clean one. But it turned out he definitely wasn't. We've made a conscious effort as well in that in that process, you know, incorporate diversity, equity and inclusion. And we've really put ourselves into a lot of like networks here, like, you know, return to work mum schemes and, and work with some great female entrepreneur communities to sort of really understand the problem, immerse ourselves in that network and find a lot of this great talent that's been left behind. You can't have like a sweeping benefits package that appeals to 50 year olds as it does to like 20 year olds. Mm. So it's trying to find like a blanket approach that appeals to everybody. Rooted Within with Lily and Dan. Hi, Dan. Hey, Lily. How are you doing? <laughs> You're looking very studious with your glasses on right I know, now. I'm feeling you, incredibly smart. You just put me off for completely. Few, for a few moments, you're like, oh, I don't recognize this. I know, but I think we're going to have a smart conversation today. We're gonna, well, that was a thing. I'm like, <laughs> I need I need to feel smart because the person we have in the studio lost me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> Outside. Outside. Earlier. Who, Who do we? I'm just I'm going no, to you. No, <laughs> I'm throwing it to you. Who do we have in the studio? We have Ben McCabe. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much, Dan. And thank you, Lily, for having me on the uh, Roots Within podcast. You were very excited, as you can probably tell. I mean, the coffee's kicked in. <laughs> the co- my, I, this coffee has so much caffeine in it. I'm not. It's been a I'm long not, week for all of us, It's I been think. a long week. It's been a long how's week. How's it going? Very, very well. Thank you. Yes, it's uh, it's been a busy week. I was back in the UK, non-work related, uh, watching a uh, very big football match. What, which one? Uh, Man City versus Real Madrid. Okay. Uh, Are you so a City I, fan? I am a big Man City really? fan, yes. Uh, so yeah, no one hold it against me. No one's perfect. Uh, but yeah, I chose to go back for a very entertaining game. Oh, oh, yeah. don't, don't hold it against me for asking who won. Man City, that's why okay, I'm probably so still smiling. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that would, be, that would be a wasted trip if they didn't. Exactly, well, yeah. Man City's top of the premiership. They are indeed, yes. Yeah, like Mel Shears now, I think. Yeah, they are. We were, we're a very dominant force. Um, money helps. Yeah. Uh, but I think also the right organisation, the right structure, the right backers. I mean, I sort of look at it from a business context. Well, yeah. It is what it is today. Football is business. It's a huge business. Yeah, and they've got smart backers, smart money, and they've, you know, they've not just, you know, yes, they've spent over a billion pounds, but they've spent it very wisely, yeah. brought in the best staff, the mm. best technical teams, and the best players. And I think we're starting to see so that. I'm going to go for a slight little tangent, but I remember when City was in like Division 3 or something, they got relegated it, yeah, for a number yeah. of seasons. Yeah, it was so like a big thing. That's it. I was there, then I'm still there. I'm not one of those new wave fans that came in the last 10 years. What was the the football ground called before? Main Road. That was it, Main Road. That's it, Oasis yeah. and Liam Gallagher and stuff was a big thing. Exactly, yeah. I just no, remember driving past it. Yeah, 90s culture. It was football, Oasis. Yeah, no. Massive. All, all big influences in my life, I think. So we just got off with a completely different Like I said, lost me at hello. <laughs> okay, and so again, anyway, but, let's bring it back. Go well, on, actually brings me to my first question. Have you always, well, not always, though, in the wrong word, but listening to you speak, you're very structured. You're v- like everything. You, s- you see the business side of things. Have you always been like that? Uh, possibly. I think I'm a product of my upbringing. I think we all are effectively. Um, 
I think I, yeah, I've always been fascinated by business. Uh, I come from like a very humble, hardworking background. I was raised by my mum, like effectively as a single parent. So I saw her from a very young age, you know, managing two jobs instead Mm. of providing for us. So I've always respected the ethic of hard work, Uh, always aspired for something, you know, better in life. Probably why I'm here in Dubai and have been for the last 12 years now on and off. Uh, But yeah, I think even when I was like 15, 16, I was like trying to be this weird entrepreneur from home when I realized you could buy clothes in strange ways in Manchester, for example, that you'll probably appreciate this where you could buy, uh, let's say, not not necessarily like the real deal uh, Mm. products from the Armanis and the Gucci's, but I was... like a whole strip outside the prison. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. So I was selling clothes online through eBay and thinking, God, this is so easy. Really? Uh, Was that that the first business you ever did? Yeah, but it was never a real uh, business because it was... uh, Then I realized quite quickly how unethical it was in terms of buying uh, fake goods. So um, I very quickly so shut like, that one down. So you were buying fake goods from like Jim Hill Road? Exactly, yeah, but I was quite naive. selling them on like, eBay from Marco. Exactly, yeah. So I was like, how are these products so cheap? And then when people were saying, is this a real product? I was like, oh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> so uh, yeah, then I thought, okay, but I got a very quick appetite for how to, let's say, run a business or have an operation. And yeah, always had jobs throughout university. You know, going back to football, I worked as a waiter in a football box at uh, the Man City Football Scene. So I had the best job in the world. I was getting paid to essentially like watch my football team yeah. and, you know, and provide a service. Did a politics degree at university. I was always passionate about politics. My dream back in the day when I was uh, 16 was to become the next prime minister of the UK. I l- was fascinated with politics. Man, no, no, I, th- I, think, yeah. I think you're still I think on your way there. I think, I, I think you're on your, it's, <laughs> you're, I mean, on your you're way there. You're definitely be- be- better than Boris. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not saying much to be fair. Was it, was it about, was it the business side of things and creating things that attracted you to being such an entrepreneurial mind or was it making money? I think the two can go hand in hand, but I think Mm. it was balancing that profit with a real purpose. I Mm. think like most of us, I came out of university with a lot of debt and was trying to live in London, trying to, you know, maintain a lifestyle. So yeah, there was a motivation there to make money. Uh, but doing it in the right way. I sort of, you know, decided politics wasn't for me. I did a year working in government and then it was at the time when there was the massive MP scandal. So I was working for a guy who I, I thought was... I was, was going to say, what were you doing in government? You just, you just threw that in there then. Exactly, yeah. So I was working as like an undersecretary to uh, a prominent MP in uh, in the Labour Party and I straight, loved it. Straight out of uni? Yeah, and also while I was doing, while I was at university, I was doing uh, like six weeks placements uh, in, um, in, in Downing Street, effectively. Wow. It was amazing. It was like the best experience. Because what, it, Tony Blair era? Tony, yeah, so yeah, Tony Blair was like the the poster child. Yeah. I guess it was like it was, why yeah. I got into politics. Oh, it was like how'd you, new and how'd modern. How did you score that gig? Well, I was doing a political science degree at university yep. and um, I think it was a friend of my auntie in Berry in, um, in North Manchester, very close it's to right, It's right next to where I live. Yeah. <laughs> from Rochdale. Exactly. So I uh, did some work experience in the local constituency office, then got invited down to London while I was uh, on my summer break from university. And then, yeah, just was going back there, was helping them with the, I think it was a 2005 campaign for the re-election of the Labour Party, which they did. And it was amazing and I mm. loved every single part of it. But the MP scandals sort of exposed a lot of MPs that were claiming for expenses that they weren't entitled. Oh, I remember. Yeah, and the guy I was working for, he um, he was basically uh, claiming for a second mortgage he'd paid off three years earlier. So I lost all faith in humanity at that point. I thought this guy was the one that I thought was going to yeah. take me under his wing. And I thought, you know, he was the clean one, but it turned out he definitely wasn't. Uh, so I fell out of love with politics, uh, but still have a passion for it now, despite the uh, the dire uh, situation we see. But, but how did... You go, oh, sorry, go, 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 go. Does that not want you to... Does that not want to make you get into politics even more to make that change? That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, but then I think I realised actually how far down the food chain you are and actually to come about that change, it just, you know, it was going to take a lot of hard yards. I was earning absolutely nothing. That's where I got more frustrated. I was trying to claim for expenses for like bus fares and train tickets and they were scrutinising everything. And I looked at that and thought, hold on a minute, I've come out of here from university with 
you know, very low wage. Um, but I learned some great stuff there. And that's where my passion for like social mobility came about mm. around influencing private and public sector. Because I was doing a bit of work with like education and transport. Um, I had a friend of mine from university who was uh, working in recruitment and was like, yeah, I think you'd be quite good at this. You Social like- mobility, what's that? Yeah, so... Um, essentially helping people on a journey to better themselves. So I sort of always view, I guess what I do in terms of recruitment is, you know, in giving people access to opportunities through employment. Mm. And that's where I've always been quite passionate around, you know, meeting with great people. I'm very fortunate. I've like traveled the world, worked with some amazing companies from like PLCs in the UK to private equity, venture capital backed businesses. So I'm, I'm working with like key decision makers. So a little bit like in politics where you're working with like key influences around policy and strategy. And the same in business, I guess, but in a very different working. Um, So yeah, social mobility for me is all about, you know, I guess, improving lives through opportunities. So it's out of politics straight into HR. That's it. So from one very unpopular industry to another, I've got like some sort of (laughs) sick fascination, I think, for uh, unpopular career decisions. What made you jump into the HR side? Um, Again, it was a friend of mine from university who said, look, why don't you consider this as like a new opportunity? You know, that it's all about, you know, how much you put in, you Mm. get out. And it was very sales orientated. It's the part I didn't like, ironically. So I don't know how I've managed to sort of do 14 years in the industry, but I always like the sort of consultative side of it. And I'm passionate Mm. about the industry I work in. So I've got a real interest in like fashion, sports, lifestyle, beauty, and all of these sort of areas. Um, and yeah, I just felt very fortunate that I would be at the time, like 21 years old, sat in a room like this with like the CEO of like a Tesco or an M&S. Yeah. And I was like pinching myself and goes, well, how do I add value in this situation? But because I had like a genuine passion for people yeah. and for the industry, I think it always came out. Um, and then, yeah, just always, and it probably got to me to the point where I was two years ago, where I thought, okay, this has been a job. It's been like an end to a meet, but actually... COVID was like the biggest, you know, humbling exercise for everyone. And it sort of made us all pause and reflecting, why do I do what I do? And how can I do it better? Because when I set up McCabe Partners, the world didn't need another recruitment firm because we are 10 a penny effectively. But what I did see was a real gap in the market for one that was... You set that up during COVID? uh, 2021. So post-COVID, I was sat in my little shed at the end of a garden in Brentwood in Essex, uh, because I did a short stint back in the UK. So I first moved out to Dubai in 2011, moved back 2018, thought we'd be near the grandparents and be, uh, you know, we had our firstborn child at the time, but then slowly realized, you know, how much we miss living here because of yeah. all the, the obvious opportunities it presents. But ultimately, you know, the whole hybrid working, everyone working remotely, sat on teams, you know, I was able to do my job from home in Brentwood that I could be doing in Dubai. So we mm. thought, you know what? And there was a few things that I didn't like about, you know, some of the other companies I'd worked for in the past, great companies in their own right. But I thought, there's a real position here to do something more impact and more purpose-driven. Mm. And I was actually inspired by two very young co-founders. Um, and I'm probably able to say this, uh, <coughs> great company called Ocean Bottle. Yeah. And I saw what they managed to achieve as like two very young co-founders, 25, who managed to essentially create a business that had deep-rooted impact behind what they do, which is all about raising awareness around ocean health and also funding the collection and giving back to communities affected by climate change. So I thought that's a really interesting business model. And for them to have that courage at their age to then start a business, like almost like bootstraps, I thought, what's stopping me from doing this in a recruitment sense? And I'd always thought about it. And that's where I thought, suck it, let's just, uh, screw it, let's do it, as uh, Richard Branson would say. One one second though, one second. What do you think stopped you from doing it in the past? Uh, possibly having, you know, the pressure of having two kids, two very mm. young kids. So yeah. there's, there's a, Fair. you know, we've all got to earn an income. 
And that's responsibility the, there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the issue is, you know, salaries are great because obviously it provides an income, but actually can be the biggest drawback from actually becoming an entrepreneur. You know, yeah. it's like keeping the shackles on. Uh, and I think you get, you know, you get two use of security. You have a lot of self-doubt. You know, I can do Institutionalized, this. Institutionalized, basically. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that fear factor, I guess, of one, need to put money on the table and provide for the family, but also you know, will my clients work with me under my new banner? Were they working with me because of the company I work for or was it genuinely me? And mm. hopefully, and I'm now in the last series, I think it was because of me and the approach. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I wish I'd done it far sooner, but, you know, I'm very grateful for that. The last 14 years work for some great companies, but glad to have finally found that courage to do it myself. So how did it feel? So you resigned. One, how did it feel when you resigned? Yeah. Two, how did it feel when you opened your doors? Pretty nerve wracking, actually. I'm not going to lie, because it was um, at, at the same time of not only just starting the company, we'd had a very young uh, addition to the family, my daughter. We'd sold the house to fund the move back to Dubai. So there was a lot of pressure on it, really. Yeah. Luckily, my wife backed me and you know was very supportive because I wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for her. So mm. I think having her blessing sort of made it a lot easier. And she was always saying, you know, you should do this yourself. You know, you've been great working for the people. Don't doubt it. So I have to sort of like, you know, give her the huge credit for like, one, allow me to sort of, you know, sell a very nice house that we spent a lot of money uh, <laughs> doing a renovation project on, but then also to move back with, you know, uh, two young babies as well. So um, yeah, it's been good. But that, that first day, I think it was, wow, what am I going to do now? I've been preparing for this moment. Now it's a case of doing it. But actually I've always worked hard, but when it's your own business, the pressure's really on. Yep. And, and it, you have to work a lot harder. Exactly. Yeah. And I've never been afraid by that. So yeah. And luckily I had the backing of some great people I'd worked with over the years. So I think I went into it. It wasn't like I came up with a new product and service. And it was like, will people want to buy this? I think I'd proven over the last 14 mm. years, I'd been doing it fairly successfully that, you know, the proof is there. It's just the execution. And that you now, you now wait to do it differently. That's right. Yeah. So um, again, um, I'm a big, uh, big advocate for the B Corp movement, which yep. uh, I know we've uh, discussed <laughs> offline a few times. I think it's the right way of doing things, you know, how you balance your purpose with profit uh, and doing it the right way. So uh, for us, as I was saying to you earlier, you know, the world didn't need another recruitment business, but I think there was one that really wanted to be designed to give. So for me, I always wanted to sort of try and give back. So I've been very fortunate. I've had the best sort of opportunities for education, but not many people do. And again, in the context of what I do in terms of finding people employment opportunities, you need more often than not, there'll be a few people that will disprove the theory, but more often than not, you need to have a good solid education. So, you know, following some of the UNSDG goals around quality education, gender equality and reducing inequalities, I looked at that and thought, how can I implement this into a recruitment model? Uh, so 5% of our revenue goes to uh, Gulf for Good. And I know you yeah. had Millie on here recently. Mm. An amazing conversation. Yeah, Hence the connection. Yeah. yeah, she's phenomenal. So, I mean, huge thank you to her for bringing yeah. us together in that, in that first instance. Yeah. So, love what they do. It aligns with, you know, our sort of um, wanting to give back and they do a lot of great work in Africa for providing uh, education and, and a safe place for orphans in places like Tanzania. So a lot of the work and, and money that we donated last year went to some good causes like that. So that's like a nice, it could be more seen as like a CSR um, perspective, but I think it sort of, I think clients really like it because they become part of an extension of their own CSR strategy as well. But I think, you know, that's one of our USPs, you know, we are designed to give, but really sort of like pushing, you know, all areas that are quite topical right now. And in the context of helping businesses on their transitions become more sustainable for the future, people don't realize that you can be more sustainable with your people as much as you can with the products and services you say something about that. Yeah. Being more sustainable with your people. Exactly. I think it's how you utilize your existing workforce. So I, I'm probably going to put myself out of a job one day by having this theory. But, you know, there's always that want to need to go externally to find people. But actually, yeah. you can actually retrain and, and retain talent as much as you can by bringing out outside, um, outside talent. So I'm always trying to sort of like, you know, 
take clients on that journey to, yes, we can do a map and find people externally that could be well qualified, but let's look internally as well. Let's make sure that no one gets left behind. And especially mm-hmm. now, lots of advancements in like tech and AI, yeah. you know, this is a real threat to, um, to skills and people yeah. in the workplace that we need to ensure that no one does get left behind. So that's how you it's interesting. Be- we were talking about this internally today, you know, cause we work in the creative industries mm. and you've got like mid journey and things like that now. Yeah. And chat GBT where exactly. you know, copywriters, for example. Yeah, no, it's know, something which yeah, you looking, I'm looking at you, your yeah, world. I, I, like, I was just like, oh my God. It's, yeah. It's, well, that's it's a massive thing, but making sure that people don't get left behind. Exactly. Yeah. Incredibly important. And on chat GBT, I mean, I'm using it today where, you know, I can implement chat GBT and, and sort of AI models into my video calls I'm having with people. So I can take manuscripts, I can sort of check back and go through my notes, which after I sort of like present CVs, I do like a massive summary on the, on the interviews that I've had with those people. That's helping me to sort of like go back and make sure I've got everything. Mm. And it also sends you like a summary of like to-do list. I mean, it's amazing. And yeah. I even did like a job description, which normally would take me like an hour to like go through and write where- painful things to do. Yeah, it is. And like, that's taking me away from doing the, the service that the yeah. clients really want me to do. So what normally takes me half an hour or an hour would normally now take me like five, 10 minutes with a bit yeah. of proofreading, a bit of amending. But yeah, it's phenomenal. That how means you have more what, time to yeah. spend elsewhere. But that's what elsewhere. you're saying. Exactly. It's, 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 about, it's about using it to work smarter. Definitely. Not about replacing, because there's a, yeah. people there's a are having risk. such a fear <clears throat> yeah. of it. You know, like, what was it? It was, who was it? Someone said something, oh, I'm losing it now. For example, I was able to see that you can actually get Instead of having a PT, people are doing your programs and stuff. They'll give you the optimal program. So essentially you don't need a PT anymore. But, and that's the fear. But can you do it without a PT? No, because you still need a PT to make you accountable and to like call you in the morning and be like, hey, where are you? (laughs) The thing is, but but that's the importance. Like that's the message that needs to be out there, right? It's a blended approach. It's not there to take your place. It's there to harness and help you become even better to take away the, who was it? We had one, one guest saying, you know, one of the biggest things about CEOs is that they don't understand, they are not great at delegating, Yeah, you know? So chat GBT in a way is a place where you delegate some of the stuff that, you know, totally. you don't need to. Yeah. I agree. So yeah. you can focus on other things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. do more of the more time consuming mm. stuff as well. So any, and this way you can be more sustainable with your people, with your mm-hmm. time, your finances. So um, yeah, it gives me back. And that's what it should be used for is use AI for the advantages. I think we're all fearing the worst because I think mm. it should only be there to sort of give humans back more time is yeah. how it should be applied. But inevitably there'll be a few losses along the way in terms of jobs. And But it's like the digital transformation that took place over the last 10 years. It's just another evolution. But as long as it's regulated and monitored, then hopefully we shouldn't really fear the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's certain things that you can't, you know, a human, like I, I do wonder about my own profession as well. Like yeah. can an AI do it quicker? I mean, yes, it probably could, but there's always that need for a human interaction that, you know, a, a bot can't really detect in terms of yeah. people's behaviors there, you know, how they conduct themselves in the real life and so forth. They will always need that sort of third party sort of conducting. Well, it it's like emotional it, connection as well. well you don't get that from the human the touch. Yeah, they exactly. Have humanity. You know, yeah. you, you can program, again, I'm not an expert in it, but like, just playing around with it myself, like I even immediately looked at the copywriting aspect of it. Yeah. It'll write it, but it doesn't have the same nuances that I would put into something. Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll build a nice basic for foundation. Mm. It's a much of a muchness. It could, you know, there's co- like as copywriters, everyone's got a style. Yeah. Everyone's got, it's the human Flavor. touch. So at this point, but then who knows? Yeah, then there's then then you hear people going, yeah, but it's only the beginning. Yeah. And then AI is made to constantly change and adapt and soon it will have the human human touch. Yeah. You know, so I, I understand the fear. Mm. I understand the fear, but 
at this point, I think it's smarter to sort of go with what you're saying, which yeah. is to help you to use it for in your benefit as opposed to against you. Yeah, exactly. So you're also going back to, you mentioned B Corp. So you are currently in the process of applying for B Corp. That's right. Yeah. So it was kind of my mission to always become a B Corp because I wanted to have that sort of verification. My question, will, what is, will all our listeners know what that means? I was going to say, yeah, maybe what is B Corp? Um, B Corp was set up around 15, 16 years ago by some philanthropists who essentially wanted to change the way that a business was um, engineered and structured in the first place. So there's a there's an act in the UK, I think it's Article 32.1 of like the um, uh, the companies actually say. Okay. And it's, it's to try and reverse the sole purpose of a director in a company to be all about creating shareholder value. Now, what B Corp wants to stand for is to try and change that to become more stakeholder driven as yeah. a business. So looking at your suppliers, your customers and your employees effectively. So becoming more invested in them as opposed to the people obviously that have invested in your company. Mm. So it's, it's, again, it goes back to like balancing purpose with profit. Yeah. It's, you know, your, your, your sole purpose isn't just to sort of um, generate as much revenue and profit for the very few. It's actually sort of use that your business as a force of good around raising awareness, you know, balancing how you actually consume, manufacture your products and services. And there's uh, the criteria to become B Corp certified. There's like, um, there's about four or five key sections which really assess your business in terms of the impact. Because even the best run businesses and the most highly thought out businesses all have an impact on the environment. Mm. So you could be a charity like Gulf for Good, for example, you're, while you're doing a lot of good, even your business by having an operation, having an office, having employees can still have a negative impact on yeah. people and planet effectively. So what B Corp does very well, and it's a, it's a not for profit, you know, they are, you know, working very hard to sort of, you know, measure and assess businesses based on their ESG behaviors effectively. So environmental, social and governance. So it really gets you thinking about why, why do we do what we do? What's our mission? What's our vision? Like any business, but actually how do we execute it? And are we true to our mission? And where's the evidence to back it up? Because I could sit here and say, you know, we give to a lot to charity each year. We do um, a lot of work in terms of diversity, equity and inclusion, but it's like, okay, so show me. So then you have yeah. to throughout the process where there are over 115 or 130 questions, you need to provide the evidence around, you know, some of your claims. And that's what was really good about it. Even if we got to the point where we went through the, the assessment process, you know, we didn't have to submit, but it actually got us thinking about, we can actually do our, you know, we could, the way we do our business and where we choose to do our business and who we work with, you know, we really start to think very hard about how we do what we do. So I would encourage anyone and, you know, you don't have to submit. You could use it as a framework to how yeah. you want to run your business by going through the assessment and looking at ways that you could fine tune your business model. And I think to have that certification by, you know, um, an independent board effectively to sort of demonstrate that you are meeting the high social standards as a business. I think as a challenger business, you know, in a world where there's thousands of agencies and, and search firms out there, I think to have that accreditation mm. will hopefully give, you know, more comfort, especially because I do a lot of work with fellow B Corps. I think it's only fair that I actually walk the walk with them in that sense too. And what did you find out through your process and your journey in terms of like qualification? Because you recently re released your impact assessment or impact yeah, report. That's I saw right. on LinkedIn. Yeah, and uh, and that was that was all off the back of going through the B Corp yeah. um, assessment because it actually, you know, you can semi-keep track of all of your work over a year, but there's so many things that you forget or you take for granted. So we went back and looked at all of our placements and, you know, a big scoring here for B Corp is around, you know, as a recruitment business, you get tested on like the impact that you make. And, you know, we looked at the data around, you know, how many uh, people from an underserved background that we placed and over 55% come from an underserved background. For, the, for underserved, you are either female or a person of color. 
And we did that unconscious. 55%. Yeah, which is, wow. uh, which if we look at like boardroom representation, you know, people of color are somewhere below 10%. Females in boards, it's getting better. And I saw a lot of announcements this week around a real initiative from the UAE government to get that number to 30% yeah, for females. And, you know, this is this is not just a regional thing. This is a global but agenda you, right but now. you're saying that as a recruitment team, you guys have hit like you got a 50% strike rate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that was quite unconscious. I mean, that's much, huge. Yeah, no. Um, and that's why I think we've always unconsciously, it's always best person for the job. But also we've made a conscious effort as well in that in that process because it was something that we also said from day one that we do want to, you know, incorporate diversity, equity and inclusion. But no better way, you know, people talk about it, but it's kind of like, well, show me how have you done it and what sort of steps have you taken? And we've really put ourselves into a lot of like networks here, like, you know, return to work mum schemes and, and work with some great female entrepreneur communities to sort of really understand the problem, immerse ourselves in that net- network and find a lot of this great talent that's been left behind and try and, you know, proactively encourage them back into the workplace. But I think it's something that I've always sort of done and you no one really knows this because my name is Ben McCabe it's a very English name but I'm actually half English half Pakistani so I've got this sort of weird and diverse background myself so I understand not that I've ever really faced any sort of prejudice to too much extent not in the workplace like I've seen other people but I've always had it there in my mind that you know we'd always consciously or unconsciously look for talent of all backgrounds regardless of like race color religion and so forth so yeah, I think it's always been embedded in me because the of core I guess, value. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just been there because that's, I've known no different, really. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's nice to when you go through the assessment, you go back and look at all these metrics and then go, well, actually, we are true to our mission and vision. We are incorporating DEI. But how are you doing it? Like, it's one thing to say, yeah, you're going and finding the talent, all that. It's one thing to find the talent. It's another thing to place them. Yeah. So, what are you guys doing? that is making you have an over 50% strike rate? I think it's through the network. And I think it's, you know, being part of like certain communities. I think it could be like, you know, there's some great, as I said to you, like female entrepreneur networks. So we're very immersed in like these female senior leadership networks too. And then, you know, there's a lot of associations in the UK. It could be, you know, like black communities. It could be people from the Asian uh, community as well. So we're quite plugged into those spaces too. But also because of the nature of my work is truly global. Like I'm based here in Dubai, but I do a lot of work in North America, Mm -hmm. Europe. Asia Pacific and talent is global, you know, it's accessible, you know, we, you know, talent is obviously very mobile, we can actually, you know, include people more now with this hybrid way of working. Mm. So people that would often may not sort of be able to sort of move and relocate can actually do a lot of their work now from their home countries or wherever it might be. And I know you've had some great people on your uh, podcast, like the, the lady, I think from I'm Inclusive. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so there's people, Absolutely. exactly. Yeah. And it was yeah. amazing. Like, I, I love their business model. I think it's amazing to have like a real core focus on, on, a, on an underserved population like theirs. And this is what's quite interesting about the way that the world's working now is that you can bring people into the workplace from all backgrounds yeah. with this new way of working. But I think, you know, there's no sort of real secret source of what I do. I think it's always right person for the role, but I think there's always a conscious decision to ensure that we haven't overlooked any particular people. And, you know, when we're having conversations with clients, we're always asking, you know, how important is DE&I? And if they're sort of saying, oh, we're not that bothered, then they're the sort of people we don't tend to want to work with. I was going to say, how many people are really, you know, responsive to this? You yeah. know, are you finding that it's increasing, it's good, or are you still facing, I guess, yeah. challenges? I mean, I've had examples in the UK uh, five years ago with a, with a very well-known grocery business who sort of said, you know, we wanted to only find a black female chief yeah. technology officer. And I use this example another day. Another day. And, you know, I was like, okay, that's great. Yeah, it's a nice sort of boxing exercise. But, you know, um, and we were saying this earlier off air, you know, you can have a black female CTO who thinks exactly the same as a white male. She could have gone to Oxbridge. She could have had the same sort of privileges in the same sort of upbringing, but just based on the color of her skin. 
uh, that doesn't make a hair any different. And that's where you've got to really like measure cognitive diversity. So actually understanding their, their real, like, you know, their exposure to life, because we all might look very differently, but we could have actually had the same upbringing. And that mm-hmm. doesn't really bring true diversity in the workplace if we all look slightly different, but think the same. So that's where we obviously like sort of track gender, di- sorry, track um, cognitive diversity as much yeah. as you look at other uh, areas too. And actually when you track cognitive diversity, it then takes you back into a new pool and actually brings out true diversity in the workplace. Well, well it, it literally... Um is that whole justice is blind sort of scenario. When you yeah. go cognitive, every all the other prejudices are gone. Exactly. So it's a, I think it's a, a really inspiring way of doing recruitment. Yeah, no, it's trying to be different, I guess. And actually, it's not just a service base. I generally want like the people I work with, their companies to go on because mm. it's not just a, a quick win. You find someone to move on. You want to see that the impact that they're having as a business and their placement, not only an individual, but you want the companies to succeed and accelerate too. So that's what gets me out of bed. It's not just a, a job for me. It's actually like get motivated by seeing the impact that these people do. We again, this was something we were sort of touching on off air. Is it's a great conversation? Yeah. <laughs> we do it. We now. do it all the time, <laughs> yeah. though. It, all the good talk of bits are um, off air. But we were talking about how diversity and inclusion, and and this whole campaign, and this push, and this movement is fantastic, and it's opening doors for people that previously may not have had those doors. But in in some ways, is having a movement like this work against people and create any sort of animosity. So like, as you said, you know, this company wanted a black female. Mm. And yes, from the sounds of it, a wonderful person ended up in that role Mm. who deserved it. But to what level does she then get bad press from the the get-go? Yeah, I mean, that's it. You don't want to set people up for failure. And that's why we always say, is this a boxing exercise? Or Mm. again, best person for the job always. And yes, we'll consciously go out there and find this sort of diverse talent. And I think it's just ensuring that, you know, even if that person isn't a black female that gets placed in a role, it's, it's demonstrating that you've made every effort to ensure that mm. no one's been left behind in the search process. So, you know, I'm not a magician. I can't, you know, um, you know, magically find or, you know, chase a ghost effectively though for someone that doesn't exist. But it's like proving to, you know, as, as a headhunter, we need to sort of, you know, make sure that we're not implementing any sort of conscious or unconscious bias throughout the hiring process so that mm. we're, you know, helping them, our clients on that journey too. But yeah, we don't, but the worst thing is obviously to do this boxing exercise and actually then set them up for failure because then that will then negate the business and it'll create, you know, internal internal conflicts and then yeah. it'll make them sort of be more inclusive in the future. Mm. But also I think, you know, to be truly diverse, you need to have representation at all level. People think we're going to get 30, 40% representation in the boardroom. You need to be looking at your junior mid-level much as, as, as you know, to have that sort of natural uh, transition internally. Well, that's it because really you need to be training up people from a much earlier stage in their career yeah. in order to naturally get, you know, that, that equal representation in, in boardrooms. But, but that's the thing, like, over the years, I remember when I first started in the workforce, lots of companies did have career progression. There were plans in place, you know, and all of that. And over time, I found that that's slightly been diluted or disappeared a bit. Like the big corporates still have it. Yeah. You know, you do X amount of years <clears throat> in a company, then you're up for a promotion. And yeah. there, there is a career progression. But then I, I see it's fallen into the wayside. Like yeah. as a personal experience in Dubai. Every time it was time for me to take a step up, I had to go to a new company. Yeah. Because internally that that progression, it just seems to have disappeared a little mm. bit. Why is that? Good question. Don't know. This is where, you know, a lot of people are getting, uh, you know, left behind and, you know, you're yeah. not getting the access to the sort of opportunities that you really want. So, yeah, no, there's, there's no primal reason as to why that's happening. It's, yeah, it's a shame that we are, you know, people get to the point where they have to resign and mm. go and find a new job. Whereas, you know, again, it goes back to how you can be more sustainable with your people, mm. you know, 
you're going to end up, you know, spending a lot more money to come in and replace someone like you by mm-hmm. not just having that conversation, sitting down and scoping out a real genuine internal succession plan. I, I don't know. It was like there was a time where good team members were valued. And then then it sort of got, you, not um, that's not as a blanket statement, but yeah. it sort of got to like with all the different recessions that have happened over the years, people sort of became expendable. Well, it yeah. became a commodity, right? essentially. So that's what I've sort of observed. Yeah. yeah, and I think it is changing now. I think I think actually there was the big, like the, the mass resignation like yeah. during mm, COVID again, true. where people like myself, we all said, you know what, I'm fed up with this. I want to work for a company that aligns with my core values. And now, you know, I'm even seeing trends now. There was a lady that I hired very recently, a chief marketing officer. She actually took like a £25,000 a year pay cut to drop down to work for a company that she really believed in because yeah. it aligned with her own personal values. Yes, there was obviously long-term incentive plans that made it quite lucrative, but people want to work for companies. And going back to B Corp, yeah. having that sort of, you know, accreditation, people want to work for B Corps because they know it means that they're sort of, you know, ran properly. They meet the sort of high social standards. So people want to work for companies that have purpose. So people are now leaving even willing to take like a pay cut or a like at least go sideways. Whereas before you'd always continually chase the, the next pay increase, yeah. the next sort of, you know, but now people want to work for more purpose-driven companies. Sorry. I was about to say, like, do you believe like companies are, companies are doing enough to, to really have that sense of purpose? I think there's definitely a massive shift uh, yeah. taking place. I think, again, for attraction, retention of talent, you need to have more than just like a fancy office mm. with a ping pong table, all that sort of gimmicky stuff. You need to be walking the walk. And actually, the role of a company is very different today. And I'd hate to be a CEO of a company because your sole purpose, obviously, is to create a you know, revenue generating business, yeah. <laughs> create a cool products and service. Whereas now, you're almost having to take like an activism approach. So like yeah. employees look to their CEOs and their employers as actually a voice for where do we stand on Black Lives Matter? Where do yeah. we stand on Me Too? So it's a real minefield now mm. for people in like senior leadership roles. So I think the role of a company now is, yes, they need to have a purpose. And while you shouldn't get dragged into too much of a political debate, you know, you're, you've got to ensure that, you know, you're providing like a, a, a biased approach to certain topics because it could definitely, while trying to support other communities, you might end up like alienating a few. And that goes back to how do you create this like equitable and inclusive yeah. environment. But I do think companies are now becoming more purpose-led, which is great to see. Um, but often there'll be anomalies in the trend. Do, yeah. do you think... Do you think that's because of a, it's a generational shift? Totally. Yeah. 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 I think so. I think there's, we've had the massive awakening exercise again, dare I use the C word again, but COVID, I think that was a lot for me. And I know a lot of people yeah. who went on that journey, but yeah, totally. Mm. Cause you know, now there's, there was a time where you don't question, you know, you just do. You turn up, you do your job. You turn up, you do your job. Mm. They're right. Performance did get, um, Rewarded. Rewarded. Yeah. It yeah. did get rewarded. It wasn't that it, that it didn't, but it wasn't personal mm. as such. Yeah. Yes, the company looks after you now if you look after personal. them. Now it's yeah. very personal. True. And I think obviously with the rise of social media, people obviously fear that backlash. You know, one disgruntled employee, mm. employee goes and leaves like yeah. a negative comment on Twitter, Facebook, wherever it might be, or even on Glassdoor, which is where mm. you would leave a review of the company you used to work for. I heard about that. Yeah, it's, uh, you've got to be very careful. Uh, and it could be like the most unfounded opinions. So that's where it's super, super, again, super, very difficult to navigate um, and be a business leader and have all of these variables and keep so many different demographics happy. But I do think there's there's a shift in like the culture. And I don't you know do much hiring anywhere in the Gen Z sort of sphere, but taking a broad assumption, then there is now an expectation for you know expen- expecting more. 
I think, you know, as like uh, Gen Zs, we have probably appreciated a lot of different trends over the years. Uh, I'd say we're probably a little bit more resilient, but that's again, a bit of a, a sweeping statement. But yeah, it's, it's super difficult for anyone running a business now to sort of ensure that you're pleasing everyone. Yeah, I can concur. Yeah, well, because sometimes, <laughs> you, but, you said, but you also get that comment of, okay, there's, there's more expectation. And some people would argue there's more expectation, but less given. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's I think it, we're in a really, really interesting time interesting. In, in the workforce at the moment. Because yeah. a lot of great things are happening. But at the same time, some things, it's like, hold on a minute. You're, you're sort of taking the piss now. Yeah. You know, oh, uh, I, I don't know. Like it, you get times where things are becoming normalized, like sitting in a room and on, on your mobile or, you know, not really dressing appropriately or vaping. whatever. <laughs> vaping at your desk. Vaping at thing. your desk. And it's like, so on one side, it's great because it's become personal because yeah. like that whole work and home or work and personal is, yeah. is, is melting into one as long as you're still doing your work. But then there's still that part that says, yeah, but we're still a business. Yeah. And this is where it's it comes back interesting to... Interesting times. Yeah. That's where the equity comes into like DE&I, like mm. you can't have like a sweeping benefits package that appeals to 50 year olds as it does to like 20 year olds. Yeah. Mm. And that's where you have a more equitable approach to your benefits package. You know, you know, if you haven't got kids, you don't need like schooling and all that sort of stuff. So it's trying to find like a, a blanket approach that appeals to everybody. And again, it's difficult and, you know, you should have like, a, you know, everyone gets access to the same opportunities, but mm. when it comes to sort of like rewards and compensation and benefits, you need to appreciate that everyone's very different and yeah, motivated by different, different, different things. Yeah. And I think anyone who gets that, you know, balance right will be the ones that probably come out of this far better than others. Mm. So what's ahead for you now? Hopefully a successful B Corp certification. Yeah, we'd love to get that hopefully by the end of this year because I think it will be a, a nice you know certification to have and and sort of validate a lot of the work that we've done. Uh, super passionate about like doing a lot more pro bono um, hiring for ESG startups. So last year we made about four or five placements for for pro bono, which was great. So we're helping people who are either re-entering the workplace, so mums who have taken some time out. So I want to do more of that. So aside from just that donating, be a big thing. Yeah, exactly. It is for yeah. sure, and that's again. You know, aside from obviously like giving 5% of revenue, that's a nice, easy thing to do. But mm. actually by giving access to good talent for early stage companies, I think is also a good approach because the mortality rate of startups here in the region is super high. So it's giving everyone the access to, you know, good talent to help businesses scale. So aside from the exec search and talent advisory firm, I'm, I'm sort of incubating an idea to sort of really do more for startups here in terms of access yeah. to investment, access to pro bono talent. So yeah, it's always through the lens of talent and people, yeah. but the network is where I think I hold a lot of value and it's, you know, enabling people who wouldn't normally get access to that, the best possible opportunity. So yeah, I think I need to hire some uh, some people. I'm <laughs> getting need some helpers eventually. Yeah, I'm getting a lot more gray hairs. So um, yeah, it'd be nice to have a few more hands on deck, but uh, yeah, there's a lot, a lot more to come in that space. So uh, look forward to uh, releasing that soon. Nice, no, we are very excited. Yeah, all I can say is it's really refreshing to hear. It is actually, it uh, really is. A recruitment yeah. entity really caring about people about people and it's the not impact. about placing people making a commission it's no, about actually it's about really making well, a change you're, you're, and making an impact you're creating a nicer world thank you that's it well that's why I hope that it's you know as mm. much as you know I'm, I'm competitive and you know um, you know I don't want other companies to like succeed and compete with me too much I do actually you know in a weird way want people to not say my way is the perfect way but to see more other companies think mm. a little bit differently because yeah. we do have this perception as an industry that everyone's been burnt out by a bad recruitment experience either Gosh. you know you, no communication or the client's not happy it was a quick win which is something I'm quite keen to dispel and, and reposition here in the region because mm. there's a lot of ex-sales people who think they can go into recruitment but it, it does take a, a fine 
combine sort of like science and approach. It's a certain skill set. Yeah, well, you're taking taking it back to what it is. You're dealing with people. Humanity again. Humanity. For sure. Not a commodity. Mm. Exactly. Wonderful. There you go. That's a good way to end. Yes. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. Very Been excited pleasure. for for more ahead. Yes. I'm looking forward to continuing collaboration. Thank you so much for the opportunity and keep awesome. up the good work, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to Rooted Within. If you like this episode, please make sure you drop a follow so you never miss an episode in the future. Rooted Within with Lily and Dan. <laughs>